0: Hello. Hello. Good morning. Uh, So as Richard said, my name's uh, Aaron. A very kind introduction uh, from him, putting me in at number six. Uh, He actually even said to me this morning after the the teaching we've had here lately with, um, obviously we've had Donnie and PJ and Matt, you guys all need a sleep, which was why you invited me here, so... (laughs) But it's good to be encouraged. Anyway, I feel a bit like after the introduction as well, this is a bit of an audition for the Holy Spirit evening. So um, it would be great as well just to have any of you along, as uh, Rich said, to the Holy Spirit evening next Saturday. Um, You would be more than welcome to join us. But seriously, uh, it's, it's fantastic to be with you this morning, and as Rich said, we're going to be continuing in the book of Jonah today, and rather than looking at a, a, a single chapter or, or a few verses, we're going to be instead looking this morning at a theme that runs right through the book. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the story, and to recap for the rest of you, I'm going to give you a kind of quick overview of Jonah, Jonah in a nutshell, if we like so back to where we were at so a quick overview of of Jonah so the story begins you probably many of you have heard of it even if you don't normally come to church is a pretty popular story but just to run through the story begins with Jonah who is a prophet of God and he's been commissioned by God to go and tell the people of Nineveh that because of their godlessness because of their sin that they're in danger of judgment but Jonah Knowing that God is merciful, knowing that God is full of grace, he chooses that rather than give this opportunity for forgiveness, he decides that he's just going to run away. Now, just to jump in here, it's easy for us, it can be quite easy for us to condemn Jonah for this, to go, well, what sort of guy is he? How can he be so cruel and so vindictive that he wants to see the Ninevites know the judgment rather than the love of God? But we need to be careful before we judge too strongly here. Nineveh, just to give you a bit of background about it, it was a, a central city of the Assyrian Empire, and it was a city that had been built essentially on warfare. The, the, the history of Nineveh was one uh, that is filled with violence, of terror, of torture, so much so that, that one of their traits, whenever they, they went to war and they won, they would carry home parts of their enemies' bodies, to keep them as souvenirs and the king of Nineveh what he would do is he would usually bring home the severed head of a recently conquered king and at the banquet he would put it up on a spike and uh, uh, to commemorate the victory and then after the banquet he'd take it down and it would be put up on the gates of Nineveh just to rot they weren't a pleasant lot And indeed, the worst treatment was saved for the opposing generals. Uh, I read about the uh, Elamite general Dananu, who was flayed alive, alive, then bled like a lamb, and his brother had his throat cut, and his body was divided into pieces and sent around the country as souvenirs. Now, I guess the point you're probably getting, I'm trying to get at, you probably understand, is that they were a pretty unpleasant bunch. But these people were living on the doorstep of Israel. These people were threatening to invade. And I guess as an analogy, to bring it forward to today, if you were a Syrian Christian living in an area that that was not yet occupied by ISIS, but knowing that an attack is imminent, imminent, would you A, be brave enough to go into their land and to preach the gospel, and B, knowing all that they'd done In your heart of hearts, would you want to be the one that saved them from destruction? Or would actually, you rather think, they deserve the judgment they're going to get. I'd rather they face justice. Honestly, I'm not sure how I'd react. Jonah's decision was to run away, but God pursued him. So what Jonah did, he jumped on a boat, which God hit with a terrible storm. And realizing that this was his fault, realizing that this was the hand of God, what he does is he persuades the sailors to throw him overboard. Now at this point, you'd ordinarily expect the story to be over. If you've been thrown overboard in a boat, as any of you will know, into a storm, generally you're going to drown. But actually, that's not what happens here. Because a big fish comes and it swallows him up. Now, just another quick aside here, and I think Matthew may have touched on this last week, but to reiterate, uh, the fish in question is often referred to as a whale, which can cause some people some real upset because, of course, a whale is a mammal and not a fish. And uh, for me, I I think often when you speak about the book of Jonah, it's one of the first things, it's kind of weird, isn't it, that, that comes up, well, it wasn't Jonah and the whale, it was Jonah and the big fish. But I just want to set the record straight. It doesn't actually matter whether this whale was a whale or whether this fish was a fish. If you're getting worked up as to the breed of fish, you're missing the point of this story. God isn't constrained by our classifications of animals. He can call a whale a fish if he were so to choose so. So the fish could be a whale, but it might not be. But at the very least, just for now, we're going to settle on it that this was a very big fish-like creature. Okay, moving on. So Jonah is in the belly of this very big fish-like creature. And he gives thanks to God for the salvation that has come. And he gives thanks to God for the salvation that is going to come. He repents. And God hears his song. And three days later, Jonah is spat out by the fish onto dry land. And again, God commands Jonah to go to the Ninevites. So this time, Jonah obeys. He goes and he preaches to them everything that God has commanded. The Ninevites repent, ultimately causing God to have mercy on them. Which brings us to this kind of rather surprising, uh, slightly odd final scene. Here we see Jonah is so angry at God for saving the Ninevites, for having forgiveness towards the Ninevites, that he uses this classic line. It is better for me to die than be angry. And I think we all know that kind of anger, don't we? I usually reserve it for a long car journey with my children. (laughs) So what he does, Jenny goes and sits down on a hill. It's kind of, you read it, it's a bit like he's, he's sitting on the naughty step in the baking sun. And a plant quickly grows up over him, put there by God, to give him shade from the sun. But then... A worm comes along, it eats the roots of the plant, the plant withers and dies, and uh, 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 an east wind, a hot east wind, blows on Jonah. Now, I've recently been out to the Middle East with work, and at the moment it's about 45 degrees, which as you can imagine is, is pretty hot. But the guys based out there were saying, oh, this is nothing. 45 degrees is fine as long as it's not windy. And apparently the, the analogy they use, they said it's like having sitting in front of a sandpit and somebody firing a hairdryer at you. It's that uncomfortable. So as you can imagine, Jonah at this point is feeling pretty peeved. He's pretty upset to the extent that, again, he repeats this desire to die. But then God hits him with this line. And the Lord said... You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And there the book ends, with God showing grace, showing love, showing forgiveness to his enemies, and willing jonah willing us to do the same so over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at a number of things that this book pulls out but this morning uh, perhaps quite aptly we're going to be focusing particularly on what this book tells us about the sovereignty of god and as as we've mentioned this morning the word sovereignty is one that has been kind of has come up a number of times over the last few weeks What with the recent EU referendum. So just so we're on the same page, the definition of sovereignty is this, the full right and power of a governing body to govern itself without any interference from outside sources or bodies. And now of course we're on course for leaving the EU. We as a nation should have greater sovereignty over certain things so so in theory we're going to have greater sovereignty over who can come in the country we'll have greater sovereignty over who who leaves the country over our borders and crucially as well we're going to be able to set things like the wattage limits on vacuum cleaners (laughs) i for one am hugely relieved at this but to continue to trade with the eu We're going to uh, continue, which we're going to have to do because of course we're we're not self-sustaining as a nation, so we're going to still remain subject to certain EU laws. And of course we're subject to another, a number of other international organizations such as NATO, the World Trade Organization, the UN. So we are a sovereign nation, but like all sovereign nations, like every nation in the world, our sovereignty is limited. It's a relative concept, arguably we're now more sovereign But we don't have complete sovereignty. We're still reliant on others. No country can exist without external influence. However, the sovereignty of God, which I'm talking about, is a completely different matter. The Bible is clear on this. God is truly sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign. There's no higher power that he's subject to. And whatever he wills, whatever he wants will come to pass. Now in the book Systematic Theology, Wayne Grudem puts it like this. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he, one, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Two, cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And three, directs them to to fulfill his purpose. I had to read that a few times to, to understand it. But essentially it means he's in all things. He is above all things. And all things work towards reaching his goals. But what we see so clearly in the book of Jonah. Is this incredibly fascinating interplay. Between God's sovereignty. And between man's free will. You're left under no illusion But because God is sovereign, we then are abstained from having any responsibility for our actions. The book begins with God calling Jonah. God has a plan which will come to pass. But Jonah also has a choice. And Jonah chooses to disobey God. And he gets on a boat to try and escape, which perhaps from our perspective may seem a little bit silly. So God, in his sovereignty, what he does, he uses nature. He uses a storm to bring about his purpose. And then he uses the sailors to throw Jonah overboard. And despite carrying out God's will in throwing Jonah overboard, the sailors, in crying out for forgiveness to God, actually demonstrate that they recognize that whilst it was God's will, it was also their free will In doing so, this is a really clear illustration of how God's sovereignty and our free will work in tandem. And from the belly of the fish, Jonah himself recognizes this. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says this whilst praying to God. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. It's God working, but through Man's hands. Sorry, it would be better if I didn't have the handheld mic. Followed then by God working through the fish which swallowed Jonah. Another incredible display of God's control. And then if you look at the wider narrative of the story, we see that this also speaks of God's sovereignty and of man's free will. God is calling Jonah on a mission to draw the Ninevites to himself for forgiveness. But for the Ninevites to be forgiven, first they must repent. But for them to repent, they must first hear the gospel, the good news that there is a way, that God has made a way for them to have their sin dealt with. In his sovereignty, God ensures that the Ninevites hear the gospel call. In his sovereignty, God makes a way for their salvation. But it required the free will of Jonah himself to preach the gospel, albeit at the second time of asking. And it requires the free will of the Ninevites to repent in order to receive the salvation that God is offering. It's incredible, isn't it? And people often say as well, and we can often think, how can these two things coexist? How can God's sovereignty and our free will exist at the same time? How can God have total control if we've also got the ability to make choices? And there is, of course, an element of mystery about it. But put simply, God has given us free will. We have responsibility, but it's within the framework of God's sovereignty. It can demonstrate, it demonstrates how marvelously sovereign God is, that he can give us free will, yet still remain sovereign. That is absolute sovereignty, isn't it? Then, of course, we see at the end of the story, God exercising again his sovereignty over nature in that uh, he sends the worm, first he, he grows the plant, and then he sends the worm to eat the roots of the plant so that it withers in order to teach Jonah the lesson that God cares for all his creation and that mercy and grace are God's to give and not ours. So how do we respond to this? Well, Jonah's response to God was perhaps one that maybe some of us, maybe all of us, can I identify with at first something happened that he didn't like and Jonah flat out refused to engage with God and he ran away is that familiar I don't know maybe with anyone here have you ever been in a position whereby you wanted something so badly that you refused to consult with God you refused to pray about it because you thought well maybe actually this isn't God's will for me so I'm just going to ignore what God's got to say on this situation Or have things ever got on top of you so much that rather than turn to God, you've decided to turn away from him. You've sought your comfort in something else. Figuring that, well, if if this is God's will for my life, if it's this demanding, then actually I'm going to try and make my own way. But what happens next? Jonah then repents. Firstly, he repents in getting the sailors to throw him overboard. And then more overtly, he repents whilst inside the big fishy-like creature in order to receive forgiveness. And again, sometimes we can walk away from God and we can sulk. But actually, after a time, we realize that it's pointless because walking away from God in no way stops him from being sovereign. It's the ultimate, when you think about it, walking away from God because you don't like what's happening, it's cutting off your nose to spite your face in the biggest way possible. Because submission to God's will is always a better position to be in than rebellion against it. Because when we submit to his will, that's when we find the grace to get us through whatever situation it is that we're facing. But then again, after preaching to the Ninevites, rather surprisingly, we see Jonah fall away from God's grace again. Again, raging with anger that God wouldn't extend his forgiveness, sorry that God would extend his forgiveness to those that he Jonah, didn't think were worthy of it. Again, this might be a pattern for us that we flip-flop between accepting God's sovereignty when it suits us and not accepting it when it doesn't suit. It's kind of like a circumstance-based acceptance of God's will. Which actually means that we're not really accepting God's sovereignty at all. It's like we've got it backwards. Like I said, we have free will within the framework of God's sovereignty. But often, we want God to be sovereign within the framework of our free will. The truth is, what we think, what we feel about sovereignty often reflects, it tells us a lot about what we believe about God. Jonah was worshipping the wrong thing. His love for the people of Israel, his love for his own righteousness, his hatred for the Ninevites all trumped his love for God. If we're unable to rejoice in the fact that God is sovereign over all things then we too are worshipping something other than God and don't get me wrong I'm not saying that we can't be upset we can't be disappointed with things that happen to us it's okay to be disappointed it's okay even to be angry at times when things don't go our way but how we respond to those emotions is key we must choose to direct our disappointment our anger our our upset towards God to turn to him with it and not turn away from him because when we do this when we seek god with these things we find that there is no greater truth than the truth of god's sovereignty we see the truth that is revealed in romans 8:28 and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose god is just god is loving god is full of grace and mercy his plan for our lives will always be better than our own we need to align ourselves with God so that we can see this now if you could turn with me to Acts chapter 10 we're going to see what this practically looked like in the New Testament for Peter so it's page 646 in the Bibles that hopefully you'll find in your chairs So dig in, we've got 20 verses, but let's let's concentrate. Okay. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius... And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now sending men to Joppa and bringing one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angels who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Sometimes you wish there were less Simons and Peters, don't you? Particularly when they're Simon and Peter. But anyway, this story is a, a hugely important incident in the uh, story of, of God's mission. Because up until this point... The church had been almost exclusively Jewish. But here, God is calling Peter to do effectively what he was calling Jonah to do, but taking it one step further. In that he wanted the gospel to break out, not just to one other city, but he wanted the gospel to break out to all people. And we find here some interesting opposing parallels with the story of Jonah. The first of these is, is the place of Joppa in going to joppa jonah is trying to flee from the presence of god is not where jonah's supposed to be on the contrary we read in chapter 9 of acts that peter is in joppa having been led there by god and whilst he is there he's on the roof praying again this is in contrast to what jonah's doing he's actively seeking instead of escaping god's presence and it is from joppa that god sends him on his mission Which leads us to the second parallel, that God's mission is more important than man's opinions. Like Jonah, Peter was prone to being over-opinionated. He would have been a rough and burly fisherman, and he would have said what he meant. He would have meant what he said, even if perhaps sometimes he hadn't thought it out properly. Of course, we read in Matthew 21, Peter even trying to rebuke Jesus. And like Jonah... He wouldn't have wanted to go to Cornelius' house to preach the gospel because Cornelius was a Roman. He was a Gentile. He would have been considered unclean. But in this vision, God is revealing to Peter that the grace of God extends further than to just the Jews. It can reach all people. And in contrast to Jonah, Peter, despite his personality, despite his own personal views, recognized that God's mission is more important than his opinions and we need to grasp this just as peter did god is sovereign his will always comes to pass regardless of whether we agree or not and there are two ways we can respond like jonah we can rebel or like peter we can obey the outcome will be the same but one path brings considerably more hardship Which brings me to the third parallel. God always gets the people that he's after. Jonah 3 verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Acts 10 verses 44 to 48, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles for they heard them speaking tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. In both circumstances, this was God's... Sovereign plan that he would be able to give them righteousness and call them into his family. And this plan hasn't changed. If you're a Christian this morning, this is the message that the sorry, this is the mission that God is calling you into. Just to remind ourselves of the great commission Jesus gave us, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is why, if you're a Christian, this is why we're Christians. This is what we're called into we can look at Jonah and wonder why why did Jonah run away from his calling but actually in doing so he can be blind to the fact that we ourselves are doing exactly the same thing where does sharing the gospel sit in your list of priorities what's your life generally oriented towards is it about furthering your career is it about building a stable home is it about looking after your health what is the thing around your which your life revolves because all of these things they're all good and they're all noble things, but our highest calling is the mission of God. This, as it was for Peter and for Jonah, is actually our very purpose for being. And we've got to remember that this is God's mission. It's not ours. Our job is just to obey. His sovereignty will determine the fruit of We don't need to worry about that. He is calling a people to himself, and he will succeed. And what about if you're here this morning, and actually you would say, I'm, I'm not a Christian, I, I, I wouldn't describe myself as such, I, I, don't, I don't know Jesus personally. Well, God is sovereign. He doesn't do coincidences. If you're here this morning, it's because God wants you to know that he is sovereign. If you're here this morning... It's because God wants you to know that regardless of international conflicts, regardless of economic turmoil, regardless of whatever it is that is going on in your life this morning, he has a plan. You're here this morning because as per Jonah's message to the Ninevites, as per Peter's message to the Romans, God has made a way for you to be part of that plan. You're here this morning to know that he sent his son, Jesus, to die, to pay the price For all the things that you've ever done wrong. And if you're like me. That's a pretty long list. But if he can forgive the Ninevites. Then he can certainly forgive you. But you have to respond. God is sovereign. But in his sovereignty. He has given us free will. You can choose to accept Jesus' sacrifice. And partake in God's plan. Which just to reiterate. What I read from Romans 8 says this. And we know For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Or you can choose to reject the one who is sovereign over all things. But beware, you may end up in the belly of a big fish-like creature.